Hey party people, welcome to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where two grown men watch every single episode of Nickelodeon's classic horror show from the 90s, Are You Afraid of the Dark, and try to figure out if it's still scary. My name is David Dykus, if you didn't but know, joined by my best friend and co-host in Austin, Texas, Eli Phillips. That's right, hello party people, it is I, Eli Phillips. Now, Eli Phillips. Yes, David Dykus. Now, last week when we reviewed the tale of the zombie dice, we kind of had to rush through it. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid we're going to have to rush through this week's tale again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because my holiday traveling is not over yet. Yeah, your family is going to Vegas? The Dykus family is going to Vegas I li- the day after we record this. I like that your family um, has their holiday trips after all of the holidays and goes to Vegas. My family, who doesn't gamble, doesn't drink, doesn't party, and doesn't like to have fun... It's going to Vegas, so I'm sure it'll be a barrel of laughs. Hopefully doesn't listen to this show after that scathing review of your family. They're my family, I can say it. Hmm. Eli, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, As you kind of alluded to, we're in a bit of a hurry, so we're recording this very early in the morning, but I have my Reading Rainbow mug of coffee with me, and my two computers open, and I am ready to go. Then you can get through anything. I can make it. Uh, What about you? How are you doing, aside from... Massive amounts of, of anxiety. Uh, well, that's every day. So I'm doing... <laughs> it's it's par for the course. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to going to Vegas. Uh, never been before, and I'm going to blow some money. I thought you were going to say never been before and never going again. I mean, probably, but I'm going to cut that from the show. But with all of that out of the way, should we dive right into some nude business? Make it quick. What do you got for me, Eli? I guess what I have in the form of nude business for you is a question. Okay. And that question is... What the fuck is a G League in basketball? A G League? I mean, I assume it's somewhere beneath the D League and the E League, the F League. Uh-huh. And that's right where it lands. But what is it? A league for really bad basketball players? I don't know. I was hoping you would know, and I did not bother to research in case you didn't know. Um, <laughs> the news that I have is that the Philadelphia 76ers G League team, the 87ers, clever... Uh, was go- was going to be wearing custom SpongeBob SquarePants themed jerseys to celebrate Nickelodeon Night earlier this week, and uh, they showed a picture of it on their Twitter, and it was SpongeBob SquarePants pants and a sponge-colored or sponge-patterned top, and that they wore these to a 76ers game because they had Nickelodeon Night. I'm sure that struck fear into the hearts of their opponents. Right. Uh, but I thought that was mildly amusing, but mostly I was confused as to what the fuck a G League was, because it obviously wasn't the, like, the A League. I googled it, and it says, the NBA G League is the NBA's official minor league basketball organization. Huh. And their logo is a less impressive looking silhouette of a guy dunking a basketball. <laughs> yeah, I was imagining it was the NBA logo, but he's tripping. Yeah. <laughs> It's the NBA logo, but he doesn't have the basketball. It used to be called the D-League. Like, Developmental League. I don't know why they changed it. No, I did figure it out. They became the G-League because they partnered with Gatorade. Ah. Lame. As opposed to just partnering with someone whose name started with a D. I mean, I guess Gatorade does, like, use just the G logo quite a bit. All right, well, go Philadelphia Spongebobs. Yeah. The 87 Spongebob's. 
that was, I think, the only news I had. I did want to talk about one other thing really quickly, and this is something we missed from a while back, but the animated Adams Family movie that is coming out in 2019 is coming out on the same day as the Are You Afraid of the Dark movie. Is this a deliberate slap in the face? Well, Adam's Family is going to be for the little kids. Are You Afraid of the Dark is going to be, you know, for the teens and, and the main children like us who, who prefer a different flavor of nostalgia. It's interesting that you say that. The article that I was reading on Collider that noted the dates um, actually said that they assumed the opposite because this Adam's Family movie is apparently going to be directly adapted from the original publications, the comic strips and all of that. And they speculated that it would be more macabre and that the Are You Afraid of the Dark movie would be more kid-friendly, like the Goosebumps movie was. I can see one being counter-programming against the other, so... Yeah. I think th- uh, I think there's enough room for both of them. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. It's weird to think that that's going to be happening long after our show is done. Are we going to have to come back and do a special episode for the movie? Of course. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping that we get invited to the red carpet. Right. We've definitely got to up our profile before then. Uh, But that is the last sort of non-episode-related bit of news that I have, so should we go ahead and jump right into this week's episode, The Tale of the Gruesome Gourmets? Unless you have any Sean Kingston-related news for us, then yes. Um, you know, (laughs) yesterday... You've already lost interest in Sean Kingston, haven't you? Yes, yesterday, as I was feeding Sean Kingston, I was wondering, like, what's the emotional toll going to be when he just runs away? Because I would say, like... 75% of the time when I go to check on him now, he's crying because it's been too long in between our interactions, and he feels like... Oh, no! Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that is the saddest thing. Sometimes there is shit next to him. Sometimes, sometimes he has gotten me a present and wrapped it and has been waiting for a day. (laughs) Man, this story took a a depressing turn. Isn't this the story of all virtual pets that they, like you know, are fun for the first week and then you neglect them and they die in a pile of their own feces. I mean, probably, yes. Only The only problem with Sean Kingston is that he's adorably animated and looks way cuter than a little pixelated virtual pet. I mean, it's the difference between, like, an actual pet and a sea monkey, almost. I could definitely delete the app without uh, allowing him to run away. Just, like, obliterate his whole world. No, let him run away first. <laughs> that doesn't seem worse to you? That seems inhumane to just, like, trap him forever in this lonely prison. You're deleting the app. You're not deleting the creature itself. I mean, he lives in the app. This is an is ethical not, dilemma. Is there not, like, a release option? No. <laughs> no. There's not, like, a take him out into the woods and undo the collar and have a Harry and the Hendersons moment where I tell him to go on and that I don't le- need him anymore. Ah, oh, man. This tale of Sean Kingston it was just... <laughs> I was not prepared for the emotional toll this would take on me. Let's talk about something else. I, I still I still feed him and pet him and play with him every day. Maybe this will turn around and we'll have a happy ending. Maybe we'll learn why we need each other and he'll like save my life in some weird twist. I hope so. Uh, but in the meantime, we have business to get to, and that is yes. the 70th episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? The fifth episode of The New Batch, Tale of the I Gruesome Gourmets. I cannot believe this is the 70th episode we're reviewing. That blows my mind. Happy 70th episode, Dykus. Happy 70th, Eli. So, um, All right, so this... this is The Tale of the Gruesome Gourmets, which was directed by Lorette LeBlanc and written by Michael Kogel. And this originally yeah. aired March 13th, 1999, which would have made it the first episode to air 
after my 12th birthday. Oh, happy 12th birthday. <laughs> I made that joke many, many episodes ago about another episode in March, and you made fun of me for it. So <laughs> take that. <I'm> s- <laughs> my opinion has softened. And when we cut to the Midnight Society, we see that Megan has already gone all out in terms of staging and pageantry to set up her story. Yeah, it's like they said, well, she's the new Kristen, so she has to be more Kristen than Kristen was. That was a really lousy first draft of that uh, Rob Zombie song, More Kristen to Kristen. <laughs> that was a really lousy joke. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what did you think of this setup? We should we should describe it, I guess. Megan has brought an entire, like, a, a table from a restaurant, like a fancy restaurant, a table mm-hmm. with, like, a, a tablecloth and a single candle and placed it in front of her. At, I don't think it's the stone throw, and I think she's also brought, like, a fancy chair. I yeah, wonder she's... if they got all of this from the dump where they found the other furniture. Oh, God, the dump. We talked about my trip to the dump, right? Tell me. Oh, my gosh. I, I should have talked about this when we were recording the episode where they bring in the furniture. As you know, Cheyenne and I have been moving into our new home, slash, you scared of the studios. The uh, There was some leftover furniture from the former occupants, and some of it could not be donated because it had gotten too, like, worn out, you know? It was torn up. I didn't know what the rules were in this area, I, and I couldn't find anyone who would just come pick it up. I didn't look very hard. And I thought, I'll just take it to the dump. I'm used to a dump being a junkyard, which is just like you go in and there are walls of shit piled high, and it's basically a labyrinth where the structure is made out of piles of junk, right? This was like a five, maybe six-story mountain made out of basically shit, and you had to drive up it and park on top of it, and there were vultures. There were literal vultures, like 20 of them. Uh... On the ground, 20 of them on the mountain, and like another 10 in the air. Each of them was large enough to pick up my German Shepherd, I think. There were pipes coming out of this mountain of, of human waste, and the, the pipes were belching fire. Wait, why were they belching fire? <laughs> uh, I believe that they were uh, burning methane that is produced by the decomposition of, of trash. It just gave the appearance of me being in hell on Earth. Um, Who knew so, that throwing your furniture away was going to turn into this Mad Max adventure in a hellscape? It was the it was the most surreal thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It was like the exact opposite of going to Disney World. It was like that, <laughs> but in reverse. It was like, wow, I can't believe that mankind was able to make this. Like, so much went into this. <laughs> they did it on purpose. Yeah. Um... But anyway, props to the Midnight Society for for reusing and recovering from the dump, because now I know that the dump is the worst thing that can happen. We're just going to assume that anytime we see new furniture or any sort of props, they came from from the dump, and they had to go through hell to get them. Yeah, exactly. And so Megan has somehow recovered the nicest looking garbage from the dump. She has a table with a tablecloth, a fancy chair, and she starts setting the table as she's telling her story's uh, sort of prologue. Or her introduction. And her introduction is just about how much people like food and how important food is. And this signals the first of many, many fat jokes throughout the episode. Others will eat anything, just as long as there's plenty of it. That's me. Me too. Some people think eating is the most important thing there is. And those people are called chubsters. I felt so bad for the actor playing Andy. But in general, like, having to be on set while this is being made kind of sucks. It really does, but her story is about eating, and some people are very picky about what they eat. Almost deadly picky. 
I want to point she out say, that she doesn't say things... that. That's stupid. <laughs> she like lays her hands, palms down on the table, and leans forward at everyone. The best part of this intro, of course, is the very last thing that happens, right? She throws the shiny coffee creamer on the fire. Yeah, did you notice what she did? No, what? The coffee creamer is in a wine glass. She's put a wine glass inside of the bag of coffee creamer. She reaches into the bag and pulls it out, and when she flings it on the fire, it's in a uh, like a goblet. That's really clever. Yeah, it's it's the best moment of someone throwing the coffee creamer on the fire that we've had, I think, in a long time. Maybe ever. Megan, off to a good start here, but then... But then, the story starts. And what does this tale begin with? But my least favorite trope in all of kids' TV. Oh? We see some shitty little bastard pulling <laughs> the old hand-in-warm-water trick while his older brother is sleeping. The only redeeming thing here is that the little piece of shit doesn't succeed. We see the younger brother... It does succeed, to... though. Not really. We see the older brother smile with pleasure as he pisses himself. It, it's not confirmed that he pisses himself, is it? I have to assume that the smile indicated that he was pissing. You know, just the way we all smile when we piss. <laughs> that, ah, uh, relief face. Right. Maybe that's, why, maybe that's why they had the, the scene play out the way it does. What happens here is that, uh, which one's the older one, Tommy or David? Tommy is the older brother, David is the younger brother. Okay, so Tommy wakes up, he realizes that his hand is in warm water, or he wakes up because he peed himself, one or the other. He wakes up and starts to jump out of bed to attack his little brother, and David pours the bucket of water on top of him. Which is, like, a nice contingency plan. If your if you're, uh, attempt to make someone piss themselves doesn't work and they wake up, you can just dump a bucket of water on them, and they can't prove they didn't piss themselves. So this hand in warm water sequence happens. We're going to blow through the next couple seconds. David chases his shitty little brother down the stairs. Their mom doesn't seem to care that David is doused with water. She literally says, I don't have time for it. Tells the kids to be ready because they have two new tenants moving in to the upstairs apartment later in the day. Yeah, so we learn that their mom is the landlord of their building and that they are renting a new place. She specifically says that... uh, she didn't even have to show the the apartment to the new tenants. She told them the size of the kitchen, and they said they would take it. So there's our first little bit of foreshadowing. She tells the brothers that they have to have everything ready for when the guys get there, because she has to leave. She leaves, she says their babysitter's coming over. Cut to a few minutes later. The two kids are horsing around. David leaves his, his prized possession, his bicycle, in the driveway, and it's run over by a giant purple Cadillac. <laughs> This solid purple Cadillac pulls up in the driveway, crushes this bike. I swore I thought Prince was going to step out. I was like, holy shit, this episode's going to be great. Is he the gruesome gourmet? Why did Wikipedia not make a note of this special guest? Can you imagine if Prince was on an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? I would love it. What would Prince play on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Is it a sexy vampire? It's a sexy vampire, isn't it? It's a sexy something, I know that much. Yeah. Maybe that was part of his contract for performing the new outro theme. (laughs) That's why it was so sexy. Um, So, yeah, this purple Cadillac smashes into little brother David's bicycle and out jumps the driver. Yeah, it trashes it and scuffs the car. And out of the car jump the babysitter and her boyfriend. The babysitter's name is Candy. Her boyfriend's name is Chuck. And Chuck is this giant meathead wearing a Hawaiian shirt who is furious. Furious that the bike has messed up the paint job on his car. 
on his fuckmobile. His his fuckmobile, the fourth base mobile. Yeah. And Chuck has that perfect sort of like late nineties bully look that I really enjoy. Yeah. He's got like yeah. shoulder length hair and just the exact face of every tough guy from like Boy Meets World and shit like that. Candy Candy looks like an extra in a Christina Aguilera video, right? Yes. So the babysitter and her meathead boyfriend get out of the car, and this is where the food puns begin. You're gonna pay for this pork chop, because if you don't, I'm gonna burn you like toast! Come on, Candy. Yeah, he says, I'm gonna burn you. I'm gonna burn you like toast, which, like, Chuck, toast is not a hard thing to make, my dude. You typically don't burn toast, and even if you do, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's it, that's not the that's not the default state of toast, Chuck. You're just an idiot. Anyway, Chuck is going to force David to pay for the damage They're, to his car. Yeah, yeah, and that sort of becomes a plot point for this episode. While all of this is happening, the uh, the kids and teens are being observed by two men standing outside of the gate. Oh boy! Yes, they are approached by the new tenants to the upstairs apartment. Two eccentric middle-aged men approach them and introduce themselves. <laughs> As Mr. Pym and Mr. Collins. And they are cartoonish. If if you had not told me otherwise, I would have assumed this was a Ron Oliver episode because of how over-the-top everything is, and the most over-the-top part of it is these two. I'm just going to include the first interaction between Mr. Pym, Mr. Collins, and the kids right here. Something we can do for you? Oh, perhaps. Uh, this is Mr. Pym. And this is Mr. Collins. We're, We're your new neighbors. neighbors. Oh, uh, I'm Damien. This is my little brother, David. You're both very little. In desperate need of some meat on those bones. Uh, well, here are the keys. We'll show you the apartment. Oh, that isn't necessary. We relish discovering new places on our own. Yes, we just gobble it up. <laughs> Adieu. I assumed that Mr. Collins, I believe, had to be like an opera singer because of his voice. Do you know who he actually? Do you know who he actually is? No, who? He's the guy in the movie uh, The Three Hundred, who I think he like sells soldiers to them or something. He's like covered in gold. Yes, and when Sparta burns, you shall bathe in gold. Fresh oracles shall be delivered to you. Daily. Holy shit! I recognize him now. It makes total sense. It's an amazing range, but he still uses kind of the same voice for both roles. He has an incredible voice, and it is one of the delights of this episode, I would say. So Mr. P- Pim and Mr. Collins introduce themselves. They tell the kids that they're going to be uh, auditioning housekeepers, and to just point them upstairs. The kids laugh at them. We see a moving truck pull up, packed like from front to end with cooking supplies. We get some mid-episode narration, haven't gotten that in a while, and a montage where we see various average-looking people going up to apply for this housekeeping position, but they're all turned away. And meanwhile, the kids are trying, are somehow restoring this bike that was crushed by a car. David's plan is to sell the bike to pay uh, Chuck the meathead bully off. Anyway... Let me just say, the musical cues happening here are just way too intense. But the two strange men were very particular about who they wanted. (laughs) 
yeah, and... it's as though they wanted this was a silent film, and they're like, well, the music is the only way we can convey what's happening here. Finally, another larger man approaches the the apartment to apply for the position, and once again, you had to just feel bad for this guy. Yeah, everyone kind of makes jokes about him. Like, the kids laugh at him behind his back. Goes up the stairs to apply for this position, and this time the kids follow him up. He goes inside Mr. Pym and Mr. Collins' apartment. They offer him a cup of warm pineapple cider, and then he screams, and the kids run away. The next time Uh, we see the kids, they're meeting up with uh, the woman in polka dots, right? Yeah, the next day, a plus-sized woman who looks like she's cosplaying as Mickey, or as Minnie Mouse, I should say, she looks like she walked straight off the set of Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, she's wearing this, like, loud red polka dot dress, and she talks like, I don't know, like Lori Beth Dinbury in a very broad all-that's catch. Hello, young man. She goes up, they offer her the pineapple cider, she doesn't come out. And at this point, the boys start to get suspicious. Uh, they are convinced that... Their, na- their new neighbors are cannibals and that they are eating people. Specifically, David is convinced of this, the younger brother, and he is trying to convince Tommy that they have to go find proof so that they can take it to the police so that they can protect themselves. They don't want to get eaten by these guys. Well, David goes up to the apartment and looks and spies in through their window with his binoculars, and yeah. he sees that their tablecloth looks like it was made from the same striped material that the fat guy's shirt was made out of, wearing napkins that look like they were made out of the lady's polka dot dress. It looks very suspicious. Yeah, and it's made suspicious also by the camera work and the music and the zoom-ins and everything. But David gets caught in the act and runs away. We cut to the night where David sneaks in through the, uh, the front door and starts snooping around their kitchen. And it seems like all of his worst fears are confirmed. He opens up a cauldron and there's a finger in it! Oh my god! He runs into the walk-in freezer, which, how big is this apartment that it has a walk-in freezer? But he goes into the walk-in freezer, and the bodies of the two people who applied for the job are hanging on meat hooks. Holy shit! Yeah, one of them, uh, the woman in the polka dots, uh, her frozen body wakes up and starts strangling him, right? Yeah, she wakes up and screams, and he screams, and we get, is this our first scream take of season six? I think so. And just when things are getting good, David wakes up and it's revealed that this was all a dream. But no, something even worse is happening. I forgot it had in my notes. David wakes up and it turns out that he's not being choked by the lady on a meat hook. He's being choked by Chuck the bully, who's yeah. just let himself <laughs> into their room. This guy yeah. is attempting murder. Like, what the fuck is this? Chuck should definitely be arrested. Why is he there? He's just screaming about, like, getting his money to fix the car. Where is their mother? Where is the the girlfriend? Why, what time is this happening? Yeah, it's not clear. Oh my god. So this happens, the kids forget about Chuck the bully almost immediately. But David wakes up and says, they're cannibals. They're definitely cannibals and I'm going to find proof. And that's when we get the commercial break. Ha ha! Hi! Dr. Dreadful here. And this is the Dr. Dreadful Drink Lab. <laughs> Makes lots of gross things that taste great. Magic liquid and care for a putrid potion. Oh, mm, tasty. Here, have a squirmy worm. <laughs> now Dr. Dreadful's grossest goodies. Monster wart. Excellent. The Dr. Dreadful Drink Lab makes carbs of gross things again and again. Batteries not included. It's totally <laughs> So finally, we come back from the commercial and David and Tommy have 
decide that they must break into Mr. Pym and Mr. Cullen's apartment yeah, and get to the bottom wait. of this mystery. They wait until the guys are out of the house. Uh, they say they're going to do something suspicious, like the guys you're walking downstairs talking about going to get cannibal food. I don't know. It, it's yeah. some sort of like very obvious, heavy-handed thing. Uh, the brothers sneak past them. They use the spare key that their mom has because they she is the landlord, and they get into the house, or they get into the apartment. As soon as they go inside, Chuck appears outside the door and locks them in. So he's just been spying on them. He's the most evil character, I think. we. He's probably the most evil non-supernatural character we've had in a while. Yeah. Uh, the brothers don't notice that they've been locked inside. They are inspecting everything around the house and looking for evidence. Yeah, they don't find any any human remains in the cauldron that David saw in his dream, but they do find a lot of suspicious things, including some very interesting cookbooks. One of which is, like, called, it's called Cooking for Cannibals? I don't think it's called Cooking for Cannibals. It's called, Oh, it's like, called Cooking for Carnivores, excuse me. Cooking for Carnivores, How to Trim the Fat Off Your Man. Yeah, Having Your Neighbor for Dinner. How to Cook for 40 Humans, that kind of stuff. Once again, I've made a note here that the musical cues... Jeff Fisher is just making the organ get wicked in this episode. <laughs> Careful. We wouldn't want to bruise anything. Again, it feels like a Ron Oliver thing. Oh, yeah. The boys are inspecting the house while we see the two men, Mr. Pym and Mr. Collins, coming back into the house with some sort of large wrapped package. They'd said when they were going out that it was something for one of the boys and again, I can't remember the exact wording, but it makes you think that they're planning to eat the boys. Yeah, like it, they're hauling in something the size and shape of a man, and they tell the moving people, don't want to cause any bruising, do we? As this is happening, it's intercut with scenes of the kids exploring the walk-in freezer, which is full of very suspiciously titled foods. Yeah, the, the labeling is the worst part. They find a a package labeled Hamburger Patty, but Hamburger is written in cursive, and Patty is written in, like, all caps. There's Steak Diane, where Diane is in all caps. Head Cheese. (laughs) That one, come on. (laughs) Try harder. Uh, Kidney Beans. Yeah, and this, uh, basically, it's all of these food terms that also imply some form of cannibalism, and this causes the boys to go into a panic. They try to get out of the apartment, but they can't because the door is jammed. Uh, They are freaking out and trying to find a place to hide right as the two guys come home. Yeah, Collins and Pim arrive home and immediately see that those, I think Collins says, those naughty little boys have been (laughs) rummaging through their stuff. They also find some jewelry hidden in a book, but it doesn't matter. We get more food puns. As this is happening, before the kids are discovered, Candy the babysitter comes in looking for them. They sit Candy down and insist that she have some of their pineapple cider, and the brothers are hiding in the walk-in freezer right now. And David's like, they always feed the pineapple cider to someone right before the person disappears. They're going to eat our babysitter. We have to stop them. And just as she's about to drink the cider, the kids burst out of the freezer. Just like the last episode, they start home-loaning it up. They throw pepper in the guy's faces, trip him up with ice cubes. And narrowly escape. The next thing we see is the police outside the building questioning Mr. Pym and Mr. Collins. Yeah, and the boys are watching from the window. They're, they're kind of observing all of this with their mom. And she's pissed at them. Yeah, she's like, cannibals. That's the, the craziest thing I've ever heard. Who could imagine? Pym and Collins come inside the house. 
Go they, they say that this was all a big misunderstanding, and they revealed the enormous package that they brought into the house. It's actually a brand new bike for David. Yeah, they, they brought it as a peace offering because they know he was scared of them. The kids ask, like, well, what about all the suspiciously labeled food and stuff? And they explain, no, 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 it's it's not what it seems. We are gourmet chefs. And they're like, well, why do you need so much of it? And they say, well, we have very big appetites. And then they laugh and, and yeah, another fat And joke. pat their stomachs. And yeah. my heart sinks a little bit more. Um, they say, what about all of the fabrics that look like they were taken from your victims? And that's when the kooky lady from Pee-wee's Playhouse bursts in and gives them aprons to match the napkins that she made for them. And she says, I just love polka dots. So this woman has just been making things for them that coincidentally look identical to uh, all of the fabrics we've seen in the episode. Then finally, after this long denouement, we get the twist that we've been waiting for. Well, we should we should say that, like, all of this convinces the boys. They're like, oh, okay, everything's fine. Nothing is wrong. You've convinced us. And then the uh, the guys invite them all up for dinner. We're having a very special meal. It's a luau theme. We even had uh, special placemats made. We're cooking up something extra special. <laughs> Chuck steak on toast. <laughs> and they unfurl a napkin that's made out of Chuck's loud Hawaiian shirt. And they laugh, the two men, as they deliver this line, they just cackle to themselves. Like they've just admitted to eating Chuck. And they are just dying. And the kids look horrified. The end. We cut back to the campfire and everyone is horribly disturbed. Megan sends everyone off by reaching under her table and pulling out an enormous Dagwood sandwich that's bigger than her head. And they are all grossed out by it. And she says, oh, it's my favorite. It's just piled with nothing but meat. She says, it's it's rich, it's juicy, it's tongue. And everyone and screams and runs away as she eats this comically large tongue sandwich. I hope she didn't find that at the dump, too. <laughs> Megan is made out to be, like, the rich snob of the group, but she she has gone, like, full dumpster diving freaking. <laughs> and as she eats this big sandwich, we fade to black and get the... Funky ass theme song. <laughs> Funky ass theme song. Oh uh, wow! So that's that the tale of the gruesome gourmets. Yep, uh, Dykus, what did you think of this one? This was easily the campiest episode of Art. Are you afraid of the dark? Maybe ever. Certainly the campiest one since the tale of the full moon. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, is that it rivals the full moon. The the acting, the music, like, everything here is just dialed up to 20. And yet, for all its its manic energy, I don't know if I love this one. Eli, what do you think? Yeah, this episode definitely lacked some of what made Ron Oliver's episodes great. And I think a part of that is that I feel it was so mean-spirited. Uh, like I said, I have a problem with the fact that f- more than 50% of the cast of this episode was there just to be fat-shamed. Yeah, it happens at least five times during this episode. Someone is de- is deliberately called fat. We have Andy at the beginning. We have mm-hmm. the, the large man who applies for the housekeeping position. We have the large woman who applies. And then the two titular gruesome gourmets make some self-deprecating 
fat joke humor at the end. And yeah, yeah. it is super uncomfortable. It's definitely a relic of a, a bygone era that I don't like seeing now. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, beyond that, there are some issues with the episode. It's way too heavy-handed. It feels a lot like the tale of the full moon in that you're supposed to kind of know what's going on. Like, oh, he's a werewolf. The kids know he's a werewolf. This is just about proving that there's a werewolf. And then Mm -hmm. at the end, there's a twist, right? Like this structure. You even get some of the same sequences where like the kids are sneaking into the kitchen, finding suspicious meats. Yeah, exactly. This feels like a just sort of cheaper, lesser version of that. And I just didn't like it as much. I didn't like it because I don't think uh, that cannibals are as exciting as a werewolf. I think that the tone is weird here, how they, like, it's partially played for laughs, but it's also something that's really meant to be gross and scary. Uh, and we'll get to it in a minute, but this episode never really makes it as scary as the werewolf is. Also, a big problem I have with this episode is it was already done on Rocco. Which episode of Rocco was it? The one where they think that Filbert is an alien and that his race has come to eat people. Oh, yeah. I haven't watched that one in a while. Broccoli squeezing's my butt! We're definitely going now. You can't fool me! I know this place is just a front! Chewy Chicken is people! Chewy Chicken is people! Chewy Chicken is people! Whew! That's a relief. Oh, yeah. Which is, of course, a play on the, uh... What's the episode of The Twilight Zone? Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. The one that um, The Simpsons was parodying in that episode. Exactly. It's a Yeah, cookbook. all of these are a riff on that. But the fact that, like, a Nickelodeon show did this before this episode, and the fact that the structure of this episode is borrowed from the full moon, it kind of takes away. And then just overall, the fact that, like, this episode is not as fun or funny as either of those. For me, this episode just dragged a bit in the middle. It was very mm-hmm. high energy towards the beginning and the end. But even in those sequences, the food puns and just the craziness started to wear me down a little bit. Yeah, I agree. That being said, I think this is still one of the better episodes of season six so far. Absolutely. How did you feel about Nickelodeon's first ever openly gay male couple, Eli? They've gotten rather suspicious. Well, if they discover our secret, we'll just have to have them for dinner. Agreed. A gay interracial couple at that. This was once again... Are You Afraid of the Dark being incredibly progressive? It's never said outright, but I think both of those guys are are definitely, they're coded as being in a relationship. They're very obviously coded as gay. They're two middle-aged, eccentric, confirmed bachelors who live in an apartment together and whose hobbies include cooking and decorating their apartment and finishing each other's sentences. And and unfortunately, you know, if, if you take the fat jokes out of this episode, they're my favorite characters on the show in a long time. They are delightful. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see an episode where they meet Mr. Click from last week. <laughs> or where they go to uh, Dr. Vink's restaurant. Oh, that would be awesome! Yeah. <laughs> if only they were in the background of that. Like, George Lucas needs to come in and edit them into <laughs> background shots where they're eating at... What was that restaurant called? The Wild Boar? The Wild Boar, yeah. So, some good stuff here, some cringy stuff here. But Eli, were you scared of it? Wait, I phrased uh, that wrong. You scared of this? <laughs> Welcome to our show. You scared of it? <laughs> <laughs> A parody of our parody title. Um, you, you scared of it? <laughs> <laughs> that's our tough guy episode. <laughs> Who's, who would ever say that? I mean, I guess I just said it, but like... Uh, you scared of this, Eli? 
I'm not scared of this, as I kind of alluded to. There aren't really any scary moments. Once again, this episode is so over the top and so obvious that I think the only way you could be scared of this is if you were, like, six years old. Yeah, there's nothing scary here. This actually felt more like a Goosebumps episode, where it's like, there's almost something scary in the middle, but it turns out to be a dream sequence, and then everything else is just kind of silly. Yeah, it takes scary concepts and turns them into punchlines as often as it can, which is a very R.L. Stein thing to do. Yep. I would say this episode feels more like uh, Marvel's Man-Thing written by R.L. Stein than it does an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Is that a sick burn? <laughs> I mean, I do love Man-Thing. So uh, with that out of the way, let's rush through what we've got to do, or let's rush through what we get to watch next week. Well, next week we're not quite sure. The next Are You Afraid of the Dark episode we're going to be watching is The Tale of Jake the Snake, which I'm not going to lie, is an episode I've been looking forward to for about two years now. Since we talked to Jose about it, right? Since we talked to Jose and he hyped it up as one of the worst episodes of the entire series. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but um, I don't know if we're going to be reviewing that next week. Yeah, we we might be doing something a little bit different, but the next episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark People Watch will be The Tale of Jake the Snake, written by uh, Alan Kinsberg once again, and directed by Mark Szilard, which I believe will be his first. Uh, it's going to be a Tucker story, the first one since the first episode of The New Batch. Tucker, back in the seat. We yeah. will, But either way, we will have an episode next week. We'll definitely see you then for whatever we end up reviewing. Until then, we want to thank you for listening, as always. Mm-hmm. If you want to find us online, you can find us at facebook.com slash youscaredofthis, where we post all of our updates, interact with the party people. You can follow us on Twitter, at youscaredofthis. You can listen to our entire back catalog at www.soundcloud.com slash youscaredofthis. And of course, if you want to help us out, you can always leave a rating or review on Apple Music or Google Play. And until next week, I hereby declare this episode of You Scared of This closed i'll see i'll see you next week with the tale of the dicuses go to vegas <laughs> with the tale of the debt collectors <laughs> and we out <laughs>